Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well, losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash I do. That's ro.co slash I D O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real. Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep free trial and a 10-year warranty. So you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do for an exclusive 35% off because every mom deserves a good night's sleep. And with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. I do podcast episode four. Welcome to IDoPodcast.com, where fun and inspiring relationship experts, therapists, and couples share tips and advice that will help lead you to a fulfilling and happy relationship. Let their guidance illuminate your path to happiness. Are you ready to create lasting love? And now, your hosts, Chase and Sarah. We're thrilled to introduce our guest today, Dr. Guy Winch. Hi, Dr. Winch. Hi, how are you? 
Great. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Dr. Guy Winch is a licensed psychologist, keynote speaker, and author. He received his doctorate in clinical psychology from New York University in 1991 and completed a postdoctoral fellowship in family and couples therapy at NYU Medical Center. He has been working with individuals, couples, and families at his private practice in Manhattan since 1992. His books titled Emotional First Aid and The Squeaky Wheel have been translated into 14 languages. In addition to the blog on his site, Dr. Winch also writes the popular Squeaky Wheel blog on psychologytoday.com and blogs for Huffington Post. We've given our listeners just a little overview, so take a minute Tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Well, one of the things that I really found when I started in graduate school in psychology is that when you work with people individually as a psychologist, change takes time. You know, it takes a while to see their moods change or their behaviors change. When you work with couples, you can see it right away. You can see it within 10 minutes of, you know, a first session with a couple because when there are two people there and it's a dynamic, the opportunity for creating change is much bigger and is much more exciting. So that's one of the reasons I've always enjoyed A, working with couples and B, also uh, writing for uh, couples because you really have a chance to see people change, their relationships improve, and it's uh, very rewarding in that way. Our topic today is self-esteem issues in relationships. You wrote a very interesting article on the Squeaky Wheel blog titled, Men's Self-Esteem Drops When Female Partners Succeed. Can you give our listeners a brief overview of the article and its findings? Yes, and so this was a study that was done. It's not my study. I'm just writing about the study. A lot of people you know, have uh, uh, blamed me for the findings, but it actually wasn't even my uh, study, and you can't blame people for findings regardless. But it was a study that looked at this. It, it looked at what happens to your self-esteem when your partner succeeds or fails. And they did it in a very um, simple way. They, they, they told people that their partner had taken a, uh, a test of um, of uh, some kind of, you know, uh, social intelligence or problem solving. And then they said to people, your partner scored in the top 12%. How does that make you feel? But they did it in two ways. They asked them how it made them feel. And then they also measured self-esteem in the sense that they looked at this word association task where people had to rapidly associate words that were positive or negative to themselves. And that task tends to indicate how you're feeling about yourself in that specific moment. And they found that when they told women that the men were successful in the task, that their partners were successful in the task, um, it didn't impact the women's self-esteem, nor their, not their explicit self-esteem, their, uh, what they voiced as how they felt, nor their implicit self-esteem, the task about associating positive or negative words to themselves. But the same wasn't true of men. Men, like women, voiced the fact that, yes, if their female partner succeeded, um, it didn't change their self-esteem. They felt quite fine about it. But in the implicit task, in where they're doing the association of the positive or negative words, there was a significant difference between uh, men who were told their uh, female partner succeeded and those who were told um, she failed. The ones who were told the female partner succeeded had a drop in self-esteem. And so that article, and the article, the study was done in two countries. They did it in all kinds of variations, but it found this, this thing that men might be threatened by the success of their female 
partners. And so that was the finding that caused a lot of um, hubbub, that men might be threatened by this. Yeah, it's a really interesting study. And uh, so I'll ask you, in a relationship, what would create problems if the men is, is subconsciously feeling threatened by uh, a woman's success? Well, here's the thing. In other words, um, the fact that the men might have been uh, I'm saying might. The fact that the men were, were somewhat slightly um, threatened unconsciously doesn't mean that they are not supportive. Because remember, overtly they said that it didn't bother them. So somebody might be threatened unconsciously, but might still be supportive um, of his uh, uh, of his uh, girlfriend, of his wife. So I, first of all, I don't take that as a condemnation that that means that all men are unsupportive or resentful of their partner's success. But, but really, one of the, 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 uh, the things that this highlights in relationships is that there is a dynamic now that couples do have to attend to. It's much more common now to have couples in which the wife makes more money than the husband, or that the roles, the traditional gender roles that we know from, from, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, um, are somewhat reversed. And while overtly we might feel fine as men with those changes, um, it could be that it bothers us in some kind of way. And we have to attend to it if we find ourselves being um, less than ideally supportive, you know, of our spouse in that way. But the men in this study, also there was some reason to think, um, some indications to, to make you think that they were um, worried that if their wife was too successful, she would leave them. And that's another fear that men have to be uh, aware of, that they might have this unconscious fear that if the wife is more successful than them, she will think, oh, you know, I can do better. Um, and 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 uh, feel more disengaged or, or leave the relationship, and that that's something. Just as a clinician, and I've been a clinician for over 20 years, um, I don't think I've ever seen a woman leave a relationship because she became successful and figured hm, now I can do better. But men might still carry that fear. Do you find that there is a difference between younger couples, maybe in their 20s, versus older couples, uh, the men reacting differently when the woman succeeds in the relationship? Look, it's not something I've really noticed that much in my work. The thing, the way these studies work is, you know, you look, it's very numbers oriented. You kind of collapse everything into numbers and then you look at the numbers and if there's a significant difference between them, then, you know, you see uh, how we have a finding. But a significant difference doesn't mean a meaningful one. It just means numerically there's a significant difference, but it could be that meaningfully, um, you know, it doesn't, it's not a meaningful difference. So it's hard for me uh, to say it's not a dynamic um, that I've noticed that much in my office. What I do notice in my office is that when there is a big discrepancy between the success of spouses, um, you know, I mean, if, if, if one of the spouses is a, is a, is a stay-at-home dad or, or, or mom, it's not an issue. But when both spouses are working, and in many situations, when both spouses are in the same industry, because we often meet our spouse at work, so that often happens, then there can be tensions when one is significantly more successful than the other and they're in a similar industry. Is there any advice that you would give to couples who are maybe in that situation, they're maybe dealing with this right now? Is there any advice you would give to them as to how to handle these complications? Yes. I mean, I think that in general, um, and certainly if you're in the same industry, but I think in general, one of the tasks of uh, the first stages of couplehood and you know you guys are engaged you're getting married this is a task for you guys at this time and and that is to really um really create a a team 
uh, really create a vibe and an atmosphere in the home that is extremely supportive. Yes, you can have arguments and you can have disagreements, but there should be this basic assumption that if one of you is successful, it benefits both of you. And therefore, there should be this basic assumption that you should be cheering for one another, and I'm by no means suggesting you don't, but that you should be cheering for one another because, you know, if your wife is successful, if your husband is successful, it should make you proud. You're part of that couple. You know, it's like being in a, in a, in a winning team. Um, you should feel proud to be in that winning team whether you scored the winning goal or not. Um, and most people are. But to create that vibe, that atmosphere of teamwork, that cooperativeness, that's the task that most couples have to really work at in the early stages of the relationship. And most and many couples are not aware that that's an actual task to be worked at. And they just, it exists for them or not, but they're not trying to foster it when I really think they should. Yeah, that's really interesting. It definitely pertains to us getting getting married soon and working on this podcast together. You know, you mentioned people working in the same industry and now uh, we're starting I Do Podcast and it's in its early stages and Definitely, we want to try to be a team and support each other in this journey. And one of the ways I think to do that, and I, I use this analogy for people not because I think it's the best analogy, but I think it's because it's clear to them. I always say to them, look, if you are a little company, and when we're families, we are little companies, right? Because if you end up having two or three kids, that's five people in the company, there's a lot of coordinating to be done, there's a lot of, you know, management to be done. But I suggest to people, the company starts even before the children arrive, and certainly for some couples they don't, but, but um, children don't arrive, so even regardless of that, if, if you had a company, you would never think of running it without ever having a management meeting. You'd probably have one weekly. Every week you would get together with the managers and say, how are we doing, what do we need to attend to, what's working, what isn't. We take it for granted that when we're managing a company or when we're managing a business or when we're managing people, you have to have meetings to talk about how things are going and make course corrections in a regular way. It's the same thing for couples. You, you really should have an ongoing dialogue about, well, how are things going as a couple? What do we need to work on? What's working well for us? What do we need to work better for us? And usually couples have that in mind when they hit problems. And my suggestion is you should be doing that regardless of whether you hit problems because that's what's going to prevent you from hitting them. I love that. I love the analogy to a business. And I think that'll help a lot of our listeners and, and ourselves engage in, in these sort of practices. Look, I, I hope that's true. Um, I, I really find that with couples, a lot of what I see in my office and, and, and what I see in general is just uh, a lack of awareness of the need to be uh, watching, observing the relationship and seeing what what needs to be done. You know, it's, I, I hear this from couples. One of the things that makes me really uh, react, I'll say, you know, uh, is when couples will say to me, well, you know, if it was meant to be, it was meant to be. To me, that's the that's the, the 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 song of the passivity. You know, I mean, what did that mean? If it was meant to be, it was meant to be. That's like a that's like a, a professional athlete not training for the Olympics and saying, "Well, if I was meant to win a medal, I would." Yeah. Not without training. Right. Yeah. Well, what's another common reason besides the topic that we've just talked about and, and those reasons that you find couples come to you and they struggle with their relationship? Um, well, look, the, the, the biggest uh, word that really is, is important is, is uh, communication, essentially. Um, because really it's about, I mean, you can only fix a relationship by communicating about it. If you don't communicate well about it, you're going to have trouble fixing 
things. You're going to have trouble identifying what the problems even are. So communication is key. Usually when couples are coming to see me, there's been some kind of breakdown in that. In some cases, they're not even trying to communicate, and then, you know, that one's obvious. In some cases, they're just going about it very poorly, and they're not listening well to one another, and they're just, you know, uh, you know entrenched in their own positions. And, and you know, really, there can be a, a, a slew, you know, I mean, there, there are many, many reasons uh, couples might struggle. But really, one of the first things they have to work on is the communication. And uh, as a therapist, when a couple comes to see you, one of the first things you're looking at, I mean, you're listening to the content of what they're telling you, but really, you're, lo- you're looking at how they are talking to one another, how they are interacting, uh, how they are representing uh, one another, because that will tell you something about how they communicate and where their deficiencies might be in that communication. And the other thing I'll mention is that, you know, relationship skills, we talk about relationship skills, they are indeed skills. Um, And the good thing about them being skills is skills we can acquire. They're not characteristics. They're not, you know, uh, uh, personality traits where you have them or you don't. Skills we can acquire. So if you need to beef up certain relationship skills, you can, and obviously you should. And so certain skills like empathy, um, like being able to uh, listen well, like being emotionally supportive, um, those are skills that are very, very important. And a lot of people are deficient in them, but they are learned. In other words, if you put your mind to it, you can learn how to be more empathetic, how to listen in a better way, how to be more validating when your partner expresses emotions, even if they're difficult ones. And once you acquire those skills, and I've seen many couples and individuals rather within the couples do that, it makes a huge difference for the couple. That's great. Communication is key. You said that in the beginning of this answer. And I think that just can be used in all aspects of life, whether it's relationship or work. Communication really is key. And I think that's a great note to take out of that answer. Right. And in, in, in my most recent book, Emotional First Aid, there's a chapter which is subtitled Relationship Muscle Weakness. And that chapter really goes into, well, what happens when we don't really use these skill sets? Um, well, the atrophy, like like most muscles, you know, relationship skills are muscles in that sense. We don't use them, we'll lose them. And, you know, and you'll see many couples, like one of the pieces of research I always found very interesting is that when you look at couples' ability to um, understand one another, to take the other's perspective, you would expect that to be a skill that would work much better with couples who've been together longer than new couples because they know each other much better. And what you find is the opposite. Because when couples are together for a long time, they stop actually taking the time to think about, well, what does she really feel about that? Or what does he really want when he says, etc., etc.? They assume they know, and so they just kind of guess, and they're wrong. And so what we found was that we know, um, and, and new couples um, are actually spending the effort to think about, well, I wonder what would make her happy on Valentine's Day, as I know how she doesn't need a gift. No, she kind of does. She just needs to figure out what would make her happy rather than the crap you buy her every year. You know, I mean, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Are there any exercises uh, you would recommend to practice empathy and listening? Is there anything you would recommend specifically? Um, look, I mean, it's actually a little tricky that those concepts are not necessarily the easiest concepts. In my book, I kind of really lay out one, two, threes of how to do it. But very briefly, I would say... Um, uh, I, I call empathy, it's, a, it's kind of like a, like a Jedi mind trick. And in the sense that you really have to, it's a thought exercise. You have to put yourself in another person's universe. 
you have to really imagine what it's like to be them, what they're feeling physically, emotionally, what their realities are. And only once you've really put yourself in that scenario can you then introduce the actual thing you're thinking about and say, okay, so given that you felt really, really bad last week and that you had this terrible time at work and, and this happened and that happened and she clearly needs something, but you know, once I figure all that out, I'll realize, you know, she just needs some de-stressing time. So why don't I tell her that I'll take care of the kids this weekend when she does blah, blah, blah. But you won't figure that out if all you're thinking is, why is she so irritable all the time? Well, you're not thinking about what's going on in her life and what just happened this week and how she's reacting to it and what you can do about it that would be helpful. So it's just about paying attention, giving you know, the time to think about something very thoroughly from another person's perspective. I love that. And, and just really focusing in on putting yourself in your partner's shoes to try to empathize and really consciously doing that. Like you use the Jedi mind trick analogy. It's not easy to do, but you really have to come in to yourself and, and work on doing that. And you know what's interesting? When I, when I um, work with people and I'll say to someone, okay, well, tell me right now what you think. Do that exercise right now. What most people will do is they'll, they, they won't pause. They won't actually take the time to stop and think that through. They'll just start guessing. Yeah. And then they'll say, like, oh, I can't do it. I'm like, well, I didn't see you try to do it. I just saw you guessing. Try to do it means be quiet, close your eyes, imagine it, think it through, take a couple of minutes. You'll have a much better idea then than if you're just trying to guess. That's not doing the exercise. That's just guessing. So it, take the time. Do it. Take the steps. Find some quiet time, quiet space. Close your eyes if you need to but actually take the time to do the exercise. That's great information. Now we are getting into the his and her round where Sarah and I each ask a question that's on our minds. Sarah's up first. Okay, Dr. Winch. Um, in your opinion, why do you feel that women were not as affected as much when men succeeded versus when, when the males succeeded and the women were not affected? I would imagine there are two things. First of all, I think just in terms of gender roles, you know, I, uh, and again, these are outdated slightly, but not entirely. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's threatening for women when their uh, partners do well, but, you know, traditionally men were supposed to be the people who were successful. Um, and so some, you know, there's still some, some residue of that. And the second thing is that women are socialized differently than men. You know, they are socialized to be more social, more supportive, more interactive. You know, women bond together, you know, in groups which are more, more overtly supportive. I think women have the apparatus to be able to hear that kind of uh, information and not feel threatened by it. Something that wasn't done in the study uh, which would be interesting to see is if they also had a similar group, women being told that her best friend was successful. Yeah. And yeah. then... Yeah, that'd be interesting. And then I wonder. But um, that wasn't done, so we can't, uh, we can't guess. <laughs> <laughs> and my question, I read in the article, um, we didn't really talk about it, but another part of the test was that women took a an exam that was math, a math exam, and there was a male present in the room, and they scored lower because of these preconceived ideas, go back to gender roles, and, and that's just really interesting uh, to think, think about. How can um, women maybe not let something like that affect them, even, even though it's a subconscious thing? 
Well, that actually wasn't this study. I mentioned it. I, I mentioned it in the article because it was, okay. it was it was an interesting thing that it's called a stereotype threat. And what happens with if you give uh, a group of women a, a math test in school, um, and they're just women in the class, they'll do really well. You put one boy in the class, and they'll st- and their grades will start to drop for some of them. Why? Because unconsciously they are responding to the stereotype um, of uh, women don't do as well as math. And you see that racially as well, you know, you, um, that, you know, if you remind people of their race before an exam, people of certain races might not do as well because of the unconscious stereotype that is completely false. But nonetheless, some people still have that, oh, they're not expected to do as well. So that's the, the, I was just making the analogy that we can have these unconscious ways in which we feel threatened that can really impact us. Now, the, the antidote to that is, well, first of all, you have to know that that exists, which is tricky. But uh, if you do, what's been an antidote to that kind of scenario, let's say, with, with girls and math, um, is that if you have, uh, let's say, uh, a girl uh, uh, write an essay about why she's, uh, what her favorite, uh, her favorite science subject is and why she's good at it, and then give her the math test, she'll do fine even with boys in the room. So there needs to be a way in which you can beef up your self-esteem or validate aspects of your self-esteem for a task that might be threatening or for information that might be threatening to your self-esteem, and then you can be a little bit inoculated. Thanks for that. Yeah, it's really interesting. Just being aware that that's going on, I think you touched on, is key to overcoming it. Correct. So now it's time for our favorite part of the interview, the lasting love round. We'll ask you a series of questions and you'll respond with great information to help set the foundation for a lasting relationship. We love it. Our listeners love it. So, Dr. Winch, are you ready to help us build lasting love? I am. I will all go first. What's one thing couples can do on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? Okay, you know, I'm going to tell you something, and it's going to sound really stupid and Uh really petty. And of all the things that I recommend to couples, this stupid and petty one is the one that's most impactful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm letting you know right now. People, People are going to be listening and going... He went to graduate school for that. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it's very effective. And that is that um, when you leave the house in the morning, when you get back in the evening, kiss each other hello and goodbye as the first thing you do. Find each other when you get home, kiss each other hello, indicate, okay, honey, I'm home. We're home now. We're back in the home, the sanctuary. That in the morning and in the evening has a huge impact on setting a positive tone. I think that's great. It's a common theme among other guests that we have on that they recommend that type of of attitude or doing that. And I think it's awesome. You know, that's something that's so small, but Simple. it can make a big difference. And and why it does is because the dynamic in the in the home, the dynamic between the couple can flip very quickly, but in both directions. And so even if there's been some tension and especially if there has, and especially if you've been arguing, the fact that, yes, we argued this morning, but here I am coming back from home, I'm still seeking you out and giving you a kiss because I'm glad to be home and I'm glad to see you, really, in that one gesture, you've, you've already reduced the tension uh, dramatically just by doing that because you're kind of saying, yeah, we're fighting, but the core is still us. The core is still good. Yeah, I love it. It's simple, something simple, easy to do, and you had to go to doctorate school to uh, to come up with that. But. And surprisingly, they didn't teach it. <laughs> there, there you go. And we've had other doctors on, and they've said similar things. So, is there a book or resource besides the ones you've already mentioned that you can recommend to couples? 
Um, one book, I, m- I mentioned one, uh, a colleague of mine, uh, a good colleague of mine, uh, has written a book which is considered a classic for couples who are having um, sexual problems, and it's called Mating in Captivity, and it's by huh. es- Esther Perel, P-E-R-E-L. Um, it's a best-selling book, it's a, it's a classic in the field, it's available in uh, paperback and Kindle, it's in, it's in I think, 20-something languages. She, she's really, really good at addressing issues about sexuality and eroticism, and, um, and probably newlyweds are the last people who need it, but um, maybe in 10 years, that could be a useful book. Absolutely. The link to Mating in Captivity, as well as your two books, will also be listed on our uh, website at idopodcast.com under your archives page. So we'll have all okay. that, those links right there as well. Sounds good. We're getting married this year in October. Is there any advice that you would give an engaged couple or newlyweds? Sure. I mean, first of all, an engaged couple, I would give them an advice, advice about the wedding. Um, and that is, People go to a lot of trouble to make sure that the wedding uh, is the way they want it to be, that all the details are the way, the way they want them to be. Um, they have to do a lot of negotiating usually with the in-laws because, you know, they have their agenda and you have your agenda. And mm-hmm. But I would remind them of, of uh, two things. Um, first of all, once the day arrives, drop all of it. It doesn't matter if the flowers were not the right flowers and if the DJ played the wrong song. At that point, just celebrate. Just remember why you're there. Lose, I mean, be, have as much eye for detail as you want up until that day. On that day, ignore the details. Just be with the experience. I know way too many couples who, whose wedding day was ruined because they were upset about some kind of small detail that really doesn't matter at all. So, so, Make sure on the wedding day to go, now we're just celebrating. You know, we could be going down with the Titanic. We're going to party all the way. You know, <laughs> that, that, that kind of attitude. I like um, it. Yeah. And, then, and, and for, um, for newlyweds, um, and this, again, is an issue for some people, not for all. When, when you get married, you're creating a new family unit. It is now your primary family unit. And your family of origin is now your secondary family unit. And I'm using those terms specifically, primary and secondary. Your loyalty has to be first to your spouse. And hopefully there's not choices to be made there. But first make sure that it's you together, that there's a tight circle around you, that you're in that inner circle. The circle beyond that can be your immediate family or people that have that kind of relevance for you. But make sure you're clear about uh, what team gets first priority, and that is you and your spouse. Have you worked with any couples where that was an issue, where maybe they were still wanting to give their alliance to their secondary family, and it was an issue between the spouse? Many, many, many. I mean, it's very, very common, and not, and sometimes, the, and usually because the in-laws on one side, one person, two people, four people, some people have eight in-laws, whatever it is, um, are not great at letting go, and are trying to intrude. And the couple, are like, well, it's my mom. I don't want to tell her no. And you know, I mean, I, I've worked with couples in which the the mother expected, and I'm, I'm not making this up, the mother expected the son to come and sleep at home every night after they get married. <laughs> Oh, um, no. Because we just live across the road, why wouldn't you want to be in your home? Mm-hmm. And the husband, feeling torn, went and did that. Well, I'll just do it one night a week so she's not upset. And 
my response was, really? <laughs> I mean, that's, who did you marry? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's great advice with the wedding day stuff and then and and everything that we'll be able to apply this year and in the future and and I know a lot of our listeners will so thank you for that. You're welcome. If there's just one single piece of advice, just a small snippet for a successful relationship, what would it be? Well, here's something I like to suggest to people and uh, I think would be useful. Um, I would really think of your couplehood as having three uh, entities in it. There's each of you and there's relation, and there's the relationship. And I would suggest thinking about the relationship as a third entity. Because when you're talking together in that managerial meeting that I hope everyone has once a week, once every other week, to kind of check in and see where things are, you need to check in with how are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? How is the relationship doing? Because the, the, relation, the needs of the relationship might be different than the needs of each member of the couple. And so if you're actually asking yourselves, well, what does our relationship need? Then you can go, you know what, I think I'm managing the stress and all, but I've been so busy and you've been so busy that we haven't really had much relationship time. Let's do this. You know, and so by asking yourselves, let's look at that relationship as a separate entity that needs to be nurtured. You'll be able to, um, A, step out of the individual kind of defensiveness that we might get when our partner has a, has a complaint or a dissatisfaction, but B, you'll be able to really look at your relationship as something that deserves to be nurtured and attended to um, and, and managed, um, and, and that, I think, is a very, very important key to having a long-lasting and happy and satisfying marriage. And I think those are also very easy, obtainable uh, things to do on a, on a weekly basis that will really help a relationship. They really are. And having that mindfulness, that can sometimes be difficult. But if, you know, if you're used to, okay, but every uh, Sunday night we have a date night and we just check in with each other, then it's a habit that you'll just keep doing. So the idea is try and create habits of some of these things, like with a kissing each other hello and goodbye. Um, if you make it a habit, you don't have to keep thinking about, oh, are we doing that? You're doing it because it's a habit, because that's something you always do regardless. And, it's, and habits, of course, are much, much easier to create in the early stages of a relationship as they are to, to change in the later stages. I love it. And uh, we have Sunday fun day, we call it. And <laughs> lately it's been bike rides here in beautiful San Diego, but I, I love the habit of having Sunday fun day. I look forward to it every week and it's a time that we can check in on the relationship and it's great advice. Yeah, I, I really think it's one of those things that couples can do, which is so easy on the one hand and it's going to have such a positive impact. Great. Well, we've really enjoyed having you on our show today and hearing all your great advice that you've given us and our listeners. So let's finish off by uh, letting us know where our, our listeners can reach you, and then we'll say goodbye. Um, my best place to reach me is through my website, which is guywinch.com, G-U-Y-W-I-N-C-H. Com. They can find information there about some of the uh, uh, links to my uh, blogs and uh, other articles, uh, links to uh, talks I've given with uh, video, and information about where they might find my books. Excellent. Our, our listeners can find all the information and links of today's episode on idopodcast.com. Go to the podcast tab and you'll be there in the archives. And again, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show and for your generous knowledge. And uh, thank you very much, Dr. Winch. Thank you. You're very welcome. And I really wish you both the very best of luck. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>
Are you interested in learning five ways to improve your relationship on a daily basis? How about five tips for engaged couples or newlyweds? This information and more is our free gift to you when you go to idopodcast.com and subscribe to our mailing list. Thank you so much for joining us today on I Do Podcast. Head on over to idopodcast.com for full recaps of every show, relationship resources, tips, and advice. Your path to a successful and lasting relationship awaits you. Are you ready to create lasting love? You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.